Welcome to Disarming Persuasion, the podcast for sales and business leadership professionals. My name is Dave Rosenberg, and I am the founder and principal at Locked On Leadership, a consulting firm with a mission to replace Thank God It's Friday with Thank God It's Monday. With me is my co-host, a man who can literally teach sales with one hand tied behind his back, Darren Cecil. Darren, what are we going to discuss today? Well, actually, Darren, unfortunately, is not here today, but we're really excited because we have a special guest host. Woo-woo! Yes, she's going to make some noise. No, she's not. I thought she was going to ring a bell. There we go. Um, You guys may remember Anne. We interviewed her on episode 29. And uh, I always want to say Bonnie, 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 Bonnie Lass. You are Bonnie Lass. There you go. That's your answer. So it's Bonnie. And Bonnie, you'd think I knew her, but I don't really. You know, I just picked her up off the streets, whatever. Uh, Wow. Strong start. So uh, Anne was with us for episode 29. She's the founder, proprietor, and chief flammability officer. I I can never get that right. I know we we spent the whole podcast trying to figure that one out. What is it again? I'm the chief ignition officer. Ignition. Yes, we have ignition. We have ignition. Of Anne Bonnie Lass Enterprises. I'm just going to say that from now on. Nobody's ever going to be able to find me. All right, plug it away. What, where do they find you? You get to say it, Ed. Oh, it's annbonnie.com. <laughs> Actually, if you go to annbonnie.ninja, you can also, it'll take you to my website. Ooh, stealthily, I'll bet. Right. Mm. Mm. And, that's, and that's Ann with the E at the end, correct? Yes. And right B-O-N-N-E-Y. But if you Google me, you'll just get websites about the infamous female pirate who used to uh, maraud in the Caribbean. She's a real historical figure. And I share her name. And she spells it with two N's. She spells two N's and a Y, no E in the last name, Ah, but an E in the first name. But you know, I mean, it was, they weren't sure it was late 1700s. Ah, Right. And your parents wanted things to be easy. Well, well, my parents say they didn't know about the pirate, but I'm a little bit iffy on that there. That's questionable. That that was your one-eyed dad with the hook, right? My mom's got a peg leg and a and a parrot. I want now it really is coming together. Just saying, just saying. <laughs> so uh, with Darren, unfortunately, out dealing with some uh, personal issues. I say unfortunately, but you know, and it's unfortunate for Darren, and it really is. I miss him, but and it's our really blessing to have Ann with us. As you can tell, Ann and I, we may go off in who knows what different direction here. We we do have a plan, um, but you know what they say about plans? There's just something to deviate from. <laughs> uh, actually, who is it? Eisenhower uh, once quipped, I, I'd say famously, but probably not a lot of people know about it. So I don't know how famously it is, but he once quipped it in, in uh, combat. I found plans useless, but planning irreplaceable. So, ah, and that leads to the quote of if you plan, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Yes, which does lead to that. And that's actually right. But we wanted to talk, uh, spend a little bit of time today. As we know, uh, everyone, you know, we're, this is really about how do we um, enlist people to our side in a uh, healthy, good, non-manipulative way, right? Whether you're in sales or leadership, right? If we're we're seeking somebody else's um, to to join us in whatever vision we have, 
And so Ann and I were talking and it was about your emotional bank account. Yeah. You know, this is a Covey concept that I love when it comes to leadership. And it's basically that all the things you do from, you know, sharing your knowledge to showing empathy, to listening, to um, holding people accountable in a respectful way, all the things you do that are good, make deposits into people's emotional bank account. And it builds up that trust and respect so they believe that you have their best intentions at heart. And we all know we live in a super suspicious society right now. And so if we can get that trust and respect where they believe that we want what's best for them, it's a lot, makes everything a lot easier, you know, even if we mess stuff up. And and I would actually invite you to consider replacing the word believe with no. No. Because that's ultimately what we really want is, right, you know, like, I, I I believe in this, but there's that, always with that, there's that little kernel of, but it may not be true. Mm, yep, yep. Okay, that's well, 100% fair. I consider well, that. Yeah, when, when, I know, when I know you have my back, which is what we're talking about, you know, then I have no problem putting my back to you because it's protected. Yeah. And I mean, I speak specifically on change mostly. And a lot of times when things are changing within your organization, your team's not going to like it. And it may come to the, and it's less convenient for them. It's more work. It's, you know, it's harder. It requires more thought and more, you know, you know, um, work. (laughs) And sometimes you just have to say, Hey, you know what? I know you don't like this. Do it for me. Let's, let's do this together. Cause here we are. And sometimes that's the only thing that's going to get them there. Like, I hate this. I hate, I don't like this, but I like you. Let's go. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, I think it might be a worthwhile conversation on why are people so resistant to change? I have my own theory, but I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. Well, I mean, we're fighting our, our biology. Our brains are built to stay in the known. Like back in the day when there was mortal danger around every corner, you know, where you didn't eat that berry because Uncle Sam didn't live through eating that berry. And, you know, you leave the cave at night and you get eaten by a saber-toothed tiger. And so you, your brain is instructed to keep you in the known. And the thing about change is that you're always going into the unknown. I don't know what's going to happen, you know? And so you're, we all have that inner voice. I call it a little elf in your brain that says, don't do it, don't do it. It's not safe. It's not safe. It's not going to be okay. You know, and all the negative things about why it's such a bad idea. And so it's obvious. I mean, like it's clear why we would be resistant to it. Yeah, and, and, and you nailed it. Anthropologically speaking, you know, we've been around for three hundred thousand years as a species, Homo sapien. If if you count the uh, hominins that existed before that, I don't know, half a million years. I don't know. I've never, I haven't researched that far back. I figured Homo sapiens far enough back. I think that's and, and 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 yeah, and and you know, just imagine for a second, you're out there on the hunt. You you need to get food. You're on the hunt. And all of a sudden, and you're in a known territory, but all of a sudden you hear a noise or a silence that's not normal. Your body goes on high alert. Yep. Birds stop singing. Somebody that's going to eat them is around. (laughs) It's exactly right. And if they can eat them, they may be able to eat us. Mm -hmm. Probably happy to. Yeah. Right. Now, of course, if we can eat them, so much merrier, right? Which, which is interesting because that's really what leadership is all about, which is how do we help our people survive? When you boil it down, even today when we have first world problems, 
and going hungry is not one of them for the vast, vast majority of people. And I mean, you know, 98% or whatever, you know, people. That doesn't mean in our lizard brain, survival isn't our number one thing. Right. And it's interesting. I recently read from a resilience standpoint, when you, when you, lower the bar on the challenges that you have. You know, we talk about first world problems, right? That just, it doesn't mean that we're not as sensitive to the problems because they're not as big. It means the bar goes down and our brain says, oh, well, we don't have mortal danger, but we've got this and that's the most danger we have. So we're going to be completely freaked out by that. (laughs) So the problem of this first world problem thing is, you know, we can remind ourselves psychologically and and intellectually that it's an easy, it's not a big deal. And our brain, the little elf in our brain is still going, holy crap, holy crap, we're going to die, you know, and running around in circles in your brain, freaking out. Right. Which actually explains a phenomena that um, I've noticed of late where people are saying, oh, those words are the same as an assault, mm-hmm. or the same as, you know, you hitting me. And, 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 you know, you and I grew up at a time where we had a saying, sticks and sticks stones and will stones break, break my bones, bones but words right. can never hurt me. Right. Yeah. Apparently we were misinformed. Well, nobody was hitting them with sticks anymore. They used to hit us with sticks. And we're like, just cuss at us. Stop hitting with the sticks. <laughs> right, right. But now they don't hit us with sticks. They're like, oh, they're cussing with us. That's just as bad, mm-hmm. right? And so, but the brain itself doesn't recognize that. That's, that, that, is, that is a fascinating insight. Well, and that's one of the things that I've been thinking about now lately is going into shifting. You know, one of the things I love is the study of courage and what it takes to embrace change. You know, that's what I wrote my book on. That's what I do my keynotes on. But one of the things that I'm moving into is inviting discomfort. Because again, when we get more and more comfortable, the bar goes down. But the more we survive, and I really think that in this last year with the pandemic, everybody's bar has kind of gone up. We're a little less sensitive because we've had to deal with so much scary, unknown crap lately. And so the bar has gone up in what is scary and uncomfortable. And I feel like if you invite discomfort and you do things together that you survive, the bar goes up a little bit and you're a little bit more resilient when it comes to uncomfortable things. So once again, what I love is the serendipities. And for those of you listening who go, you know, I tuned into this podcast because yes, I love the leadership piece, but I'm in sales and how does this affect me in sales? I'm going to bring it full circle there, but let me give you a little teaser just to keep you you hanging on here. When you're asking somebody to buy something, you're asking for them to make a change. It's change. Unless they've already bought it before. Right, right. If they're renewing something, it's a different conversation. But I was in telecom sales and I was asking them to replace a 15-year-old phone system with a modern one, which is completely different. It's change. Mm -hmm. So so what we're saying is 100% germane to whether you're in sales or leadership. Because our job in leadership side is to facilitate constant change for the better. Yep. It's the only way so, to stay afloat. Exactly. So for me, one of the interesting things is, is, is a test is when you look at things from different paradigms, how does that play out? And, you know, you said something really interesting. In fact, could you just repeat what you said for a moment? Because I went off topic. I want to get everybody back where we were. You talking about the the discomfort thing or the, the the bar going up when we get a little the bar going up? Yeah. So remember that our discomfort is relative, and when if we're not having a lot of discomfort and we're very very comfortable, 
formerly comfortable things become uncomfortable because the bar has gone down. But if we experience discomfort, like we all have over the last year and a half, the bar raises a little bit and we get a little more resilient, a little more resistant to change, a little more tolerant of discomfort because we've survived the, the discomfort already. The right. And up. in fact, a couple a couple of things that way that's working for us. So first of all, we're making change familiar. So right. So right. now we don't go we don't go into fight or flight. We don't go into stress mode, which means our, our prefrontal cortex can stay engaged. We're not flooding our body with all this adrenaline and we're not being reactionary. So we can be thoughtful about stuff. And it, it, the, the other thing that does for us, however, I, is, you know, I always say you want to build a high performance team. You want to create some esprit de corps, spirit of the body, mm-hmm. right? that, 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 that cock and strut you see, right? And, so, mm-hmm. and it's not right. always that way. Like our SEALs, Navy SEALs, if you meet them um, in civilian clothes when they're not working, they're very unassuming, right? They, they, don't, need, they don't need the swagger, right? right? It's sort of like I had a dog once, uh, a Rottweiler, and we thought she was the Omega until we finally figured out, no, she was the Alpha. She just didn't have to assert herself very often. But when she did... And it was always that quiet assertion. It was never a big growl. It was always like, no, you're not doing that. Right. Real quiet. <laughs> you you're don't want to go there. <laughs> right. You know, 110 pound Rottweiler says that, you know, and, and you're a 70 or 60 pound dog. You listen. <laughs> right? So when we create discomfort through vigorous training, we actually create esprit de corps. And to your point, we raise the bar because now people have a higher threshold of pain, so to speak. And you know what? It doesn't even take vigorous training. It takes collective successes to create that esprit de corps, right? I mean, vigorous training works great. Like going, if you think about any team building thing, there's a level of discomfort because there's an unknown. We're figuring stuff out together, whether we're high up on a ropes course or we're just doing activities on the ground, whatever. There's that level of discomfort that we get through together. And we're obviously more likely to jump into uncomfortable things together. And that builds that pride point for your team. Right. Or even if it's, and I say vigorous training, I don't necessarily mean, you know, where, where, you know, only one out of 10 make it like, you know, through buds or something like that. Yeah. Right. But Carry this log into the water 15 times. In the, the ice cold water without yes. any sleep for a week. Yeah. Um, and those of you couldn't see, and was sticking her tongue out at that. I don't think that's something that appeals to her. No, I'm good. I'm not GI Jane. <laughs> no, that was actually my wife. But uh, her her license plate reads GI Jag. Oh no um, way! Yeah, she was a Jag, uh, and she got to deploy with the uh, 13th Mew and got the fire M1 and all sorts of cool stuff that I never got to do. So yeah, she's, she's probably she, got that Rottweiler confidence too, right? Where she's like, you know, I don't need to show you until I do, and then. Let's just say I used to be careful what you wish for. I used to say I wanted to marry a woman I could wrestle with and maybe lose to. Bingo. Be careful. So, uh, and I couldn't be happier. And, uh, but, uh, but back to our, our point here. If you put people through training and, and where you're testing, all I ask is that you test at the end of the training. It serves so many purposes, but one of the main purposes is a test that they, they potentially could fail. Right, doesn't be super hard, but it has to show they demonstrate knowledge that they've gained from the training. That creates a spree de corps because your competitors aren't doing that. I guarantee it. Yep. 
Now, so all of this, of course, is building this emotion. It's subtle, but it's actually building in this emotional bank account. Huge. Yeah. Not only with you as the leader, but with the whole team. I mean, and that's even stronger if you can get that going. Right. Well, so many different levels, right? Because they're seeing you're investing time, energy, and effort into their success Mm -hmm. by training them. And that, we keep talking about anthropological needs, well, that triggers a deep-seated need of reciprocity. Mm-hmm. And they will reciprocate by giving you their best. They'll invest in you after you've invested in them. Right. How does a salesperson do this? How does a salesperson put money, quote, you know, put, put love? That's actually, you know, I think it was putting love in the emotional bank account of their prospects. It's, it's all in, you know, it goes back to the networking theory of providing value and thinking about, you know, as I, as I reinvigorated my email list to try to build my community, I always felt icky because it's like I'm selling every single time. Well, don't. Sometimes, most of the time, I send those emails that are just value. It's a five, three, two minute read or a little video or a picture or whatever. And they get some value out of that. And what they think is, and Bonnie, brings me value. She makes me feel good. She's investing in me. So when I do make that sales invitation, I'm much more likely to be successful. So I think that's how you do it is how can I bring them value? How can I offer products they need? How can I offer information they need? You know, whether it's tax information or other products or, you know, anything. You know, it's so funny to hear you say that and not funny, haha, but ironic. Um, I, I couldn't agree more. So did I tell you, ever tell you the story of how I met Darren? Mm-mm. Back in 2005, 2006, I, I had my own telecom business. And every day at five o'clock as I was driving home, there was this ad on a local talk radio station I used to listen to. And it was the uh, sales manager minute. There was actually a name to it. It was, it was a sales system. Um, and it was Darren giving a sales tip and it was, it was a full on solid tip. And I've been a student of sales since I got out of the Navy, actually before when I was in college, I did some Tom Hopkins training and et cetera. So I've been a student of sales for a long time and I'd listen to stuff. I go, man, this guy is right on. And I would do everything I could to get in the car because I didn't have a radio in the office and be in my car to hear that at five o'clock every day. Well, one day, a friend of mine, a colleague who I knew from a networking organization who had changed jobs, and she was working as a sales rep for the local uh, regional chamber of commerce in San Diego. We're having lunch, and she's trying to sell me on joining the chamber, which I didn't really see the value in until she mentioned if I joined as a bronze level member, I get Darren's 12 week training course included. Ooh. Sold right then and there. Right. And that's what it wasn't it Bob Berg that says people do business with people they know, like, and trust. They got to know who you are. They got to like and trust you too. And those are the two key things. How do I build that trust and that, that affection, quote unquote? And that's exactly what Darren did. Yeah, exactly. Because I knew from everything he gave on the radio that his material is spot on. He's, if you folks, you've heard him here. He's, he's incredibly likable. You've, you've, well, met him virtually, right? Oh, yeah. Him, right, you know. Incredibly likable. He's a great guy, huge heart. And, uh, you know, that was 2008 when that actually happened. So here we are 13 years later, you know, 
and uh, yeah, we've grown a lot together. And, and so that's what you're looking to do, folks, in sales is put that love in the bank. It's no. what was it? I think it's Maya Angelou that said people don't remember what you said or how you said it, but they remember how you made them feel. I just butchered the quote. But if you make your customers feel good about doing business with you, they're not going to want to leave, even yeah. if they can get a better price. I heard a story of two British prime ministers. I can only remember the one, which was Disraeli, and it was another one. And a woman was describing, you know, she met them both. And she said, you know, when I met the other one, whose name I can't remember, you know, I, I left there thinking he made me feel like he was the most interesting man around. But when I met with Disraeli, I left with him, me thinking that I was the most interesting person around. Yes. That's what we want to do. hundred percent. Yeah. And, and, you know, one of the challenges people have is they think, but I, I don't want to give them my product away. You know, what if you're selling knowledge? What if what you like, like you and I, we do consulting, we do coaching, right? We do leadership training. Frankly, I, I think you can give away knowledge because I can't tell you in two sentences everything you need to know. I can whet your appetite. But even then, what else can you do to add value to somebody without giving them your knowledge? Any other any thoughts on that? I mean, sending them articles from somebody else. Hey, I saw this. I know you've been struggling with this. Or, hey, I saw this. It relates to your business. Or, hey, I met this awesome guy, Dave Rosenberg, on this podcast interview. I think you two could do some business together. You make those connections. You make those article connections. You send them TED Talks. Things that have nothing to do with you, but say, Dave, I'm thinking about you, and I'm thinking about your success. I thought this might contribute to it. You know, and, and once again, you nailed it. I'm thinking about you. You you asked a question before, or you were commenting how you're doing a lot of research on, you know, how do you find courage? And and I actually like to quote Lao Tzu, since we're in a quote fest here, who is the founder of Taoism. And I've said it here on the podcast before, but I, I think it's a spot on quote that can be repeated time and time again, which is being cared for by others deeply gives you strength. Caring for others deeply gives you courage. Mm. And when you, ooh. ooh, okay, there we go. Spooky ooh sound, right? But yeah. if you do any research at all into people who have earned any medal of valor, whether it's a, from the Congressional Medal of Honor, Bronze Star, Silver Star, whatever, whatever that um, medal may have been in the armed services, the circumstances are all eerily similar, which is something bad was happening and somebody put their life at risk to turn things around. Mm -hmm. And those that were not awarded posthumously, those, um, those people who have earned that recognition to a person, their story is eerily the same, which is one, I don't really deserve this. Uh, I didn't do anything any of my teammates wouldn't have done had they been in my exact situation. And I did it for my team every single time. It's a variation on that every single time. Nobody did it for glory. Nobody did it for themselves. They weren't thinking that you, nobody thinking about themselves is going to put themselves in that kind of danger. Right. It's for somebody else. That's and it goes, and it goes back to that esprit de corps, right? You've created this trust in this, you know, and, and I've talked to guys in the military who get out or people in the military and they get out and they're like, 
I don't know who's got my back here. I knew in the military, even if I don't get along with you, you got my six, right? So I know who's doing what and what and what we're going to do. And that, that pride and that trust, we're talking about emotional bank account, that piggy bank is busting. And yeah. if you can create that on your team, where even though Bob and Susie don't get along, they know how to work together. They know what their role is and they're proud of the work they do together. And they're going to do it without having to think, oh, well, I don't really like him very much. Like it's not well, there. Yeah. And, and to your point, I remember there was a pilot, I won't say his name. I, I did not get along with him at all. I mean, we, oil and water got along better than we did. <laughs> and, but there were times when we had to fly together. And, and what in fact happens is it's a point of pride. It's like, I'm not going to let my personal animosity get in the way of this because we're in this together. Mm-hmm. And he was the same way. And, and it's a piece of, it's a point of respect for me to him. I don't know today who he, you know, where I know who he is. I don't know where he is, what he's doing, what he would say about this. But I know from my perspective, as much as I may dislike him on a personal level, I would, I respect that he was able to do that. Yes. Yep. And that's, that's the emotional bank account right there. You knew that he would have your back. Yeah. You knew it. You didn't believe it. You knew it. Right. Right. Which is why I say it's not a belief. It's that knowledge. It's why, frankly, I don't throw the word friend out very easily. I have people I know, acquaintances who um, will, you know, everybody in their brother, sister, mother, that they meet once. It's like, oh, God bless you. Oh, now you're my friend. (laughs) And to me, that's a very sacred relationship. Um, And and I wish we had more words to describe the graduations because I have about a thousand different degrees of friendship you know, but, but friend, that's somebody who I know has my back. It doesn't mean they're going to cover me when I'm wrong. That's not what having your back is. Right. When I'm wrong, they're going to tell you, they're more likely to be like, yo, Dave, what are you doing? Right. 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 Because keeping me right is more important than our friendship. Mm -hmm. Or no, keeping you right is more important than being polite. Yes. Keeping things easy and comfortable. Yes, which means they have to risk potentially. Now they know better, right? But but the potential risk is the friendship. Right. And, Though and they a, know they're not actually risking that because you have that friendship. Because that's what I consider a friend, correct? Right. 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 But it's, it, it, for most people, that's a scary place to go. It is scary. And in today's world, you know, I think because of social media and because of the ease of information transfer, And this is something, you know, I lead humanitarian expeditions to Africa and I highly recommend it to anybody. Like get out of your town because all the news we hear is that everybody else is bad. And that is so not the case. 98% of the people in the world are exactly like you and just want a roof over their head, you know, and to go home and keep their kids safe and have a yummy dinner and sleep in a comfy bed. You know, I mean, like, and, and the more we realize that people aren't as scary as we hear they are, you know, I'm not saying the media is bad. I'm just saying you see it here. You see it here. You see it here. You see it here. It's the same news story, but you see it six times and you think it's everywhere. And you think everybody's so bad and the world needs, we need to protect so much. And the fact is when we get out and we trust and we meet and we welcome into new groups of people, we don't know, we realize that we don't have to be that suspicious, excuse me, suspicious. And that trust isn't that scary to give away right which actually brings us full circle right back to change back Mm -hmm. to the unknown fear of the unknown Mm -hmm. so i guess the lesson for today is if you want to connect 
and persuade people more to your side, right? Um, put money in the emotional or love in the emotional bank account. And you, to do that, you need to go out of your way and embrace the unknown a little bit. Yeah. And the easiest way to do that is to listen, is to give them the most precious resource you have, your time and attention. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I'm, I'm, we're going long, so I don't want to go down that time and attention rabbit hole. But <laughs> I just was is, giving you an easy tip. Do yeah. that. Listen, you're good. Okay. We can go. Hey, thanks yeah. for having me, Dave. No, you know, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, time flies with you. I love it. You know, you're, you're kind of like a female Darren with, with two arms, but. um, um <laughs> <laughs> And bigger hair. Yeah. Yeah. Much bigger hair. Um <laughs> And you're inspiring others to rock the Mohawk, by the way. Right? That. Yeah, that's pretty heavy stuff. Yeah. So listen, and why don't you tell our, our, our listeners one more time, if they want to get a hold of you, how to do that. I will put it in the show notes, of course, but uh, go ahead. Well, and, and just without worrying about spelling, yourchangespeaker.com takes you right to my website. And uh, you, you know how to spell all those words. So go ahead and find me. You can find my podcast on there, my books, all of my speaking and keynotes and what uh, workshops and all that jazz so i'll see you there so your change speaker.com and is yeah. dot spelled d-o-t it is a dot <laughs> i don't know i'm like come up with something quick Ann. come on you got this <laughs> i got nothing i used uh, it all up dave all right well that must be we're out of time we'll see you Ding. next time thanks, right. dave. thanks ann That concludes another episode of Disarming Persuasion. My name's Dave Rosenberg. And this is Darren Cecil. Visit our websites at LockedOnLeadership.com or DarrenCecil.com. Follow us on social media. You can find the links in the show notes. Remember, if they fail to make a decision, you failed to disarm them.